So if you did not watch the Olympics once again, I just want to tell you, you know, you get saved because I'm a huge, huge fan of the Olympics. But Thursday night, we go over to Emily's mom and dad's house. It's Penny's birthday, so if you don't know, it's my mother's long birthday this past week. We go over there, and we're sitting down, you know, waiting for Penny and Russ to get off work so we can go out to eat as a family. And sure enough, you know, Emily's brothers, they're Sawyer and Ty. They're all big sportsmen. Act. He said, let's turn on the Olympics and see what's on. And so sure enough, it's in the middle of the day on Thursday, but there's a few live events going on. And I kid you not, church, there was competitive walking. <laughs> Competitive walking is an Olympic sport. I did not know this, but literally the people you see at the mall, they were doing that. And they walk for 50 kilometers. 50 kilometers they walk around a big circle. And it's competitive. Like, I keep it up. They're drinking water. I mean, they got the water going on. I kid you. And they have, they have judges who have paddles. And if you break form or move too fast, you get a yellow warning card. Get out of here, amen. Like, I was thinking, there is no way this is real. I was like, and here's the thing. It takes upwards of two hours and 45 minutes for them to finish that 50-kilometer walking race. And we were sitting there, and I was thinking, this is just blowing my mind. And Russ come in, and he said, you want to know what's more boring than, than them actually doing this? Is you actually watching them do this. <laughs> uh, and that's the truth. But too often than not, we can oftentimes forget that the Christian life is sometimes like that. Just a boring, mundane walk with the Lord. And there are moments where you feel like you're almost, you know, got enthusiasm. You can sprint and run for a long period of time. But there's also been moments in my life, and I promise you, if you were to be honest with yourself about the moments in your life, there's been moments where God was dragging you. Mm-hmm. Because it is a grueling marathon of a race. It is not a quick hit. It's not I got baptized and my walk with the Lord is complete. It's not you never fully reach. Let me say this over and over again because I want to say this as humbly as I possibly can to you. You never arrive in Christianity. That's right. I want you to get this. Like there's nobody here that says I'm too spiritually mature to go to church anymore. I'm too spiritually mature to never read the Bible anymore. I'm too spiritually too spiritually mature to never have to confess my sins to brothers and sisters. I'm too spiritually mature to never have to fast again. I'm so spiritually mature, I don't even need to belong to community of faith. Guys, that's a, that's a, that's a word that's not from the New Testament. That's right. So I want us to get this. It's a grueling marathon of a race. Last week we talked about the cloud of witnesses, right? How that's really not about people in heaven chanting us on. I want to do and let you know, as soon as your loved one who was walking with Christ took their last breath, their worldly cares were gone. And their heavenly cares were finally met, amen. And so what I mean by that is, when we get to heaven, you're not going to worry about your 401k. You're not going to worry about any of that stuff. You're just going to worry about, let me see Jesus, amen. amen. I just want to see Jesus. Because that's who got you there. That's right. That's the only one who got you there. And so I want you to understand that, that there's not this, there's a big philosophy around people saying, well, they earn their wings. That's not what the Bible tells us. We're, we don't turn into angels, amen. That's not what Scripture says. So I need us to get this and understand that that cloud of witnesses are those people who we read their testimonies. We read what they witness with the Lord. That's why that Hebrews Hall of Faith is there. We can go back, and when I'm discouraged, I can read this book and be encouraged. That's right. right. I can find, I can be relatable. Why? Because I know they struggled, amen. Yeah, and I can read it and it encourages me today to learn from their mistakes 
and to learn from their triumphs, and to learn from their walk. So the text today we're really getting into is just a couple, 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 literally just a couple letters, a couple, couple words. Look what he says there in chapter one, and I mean chapter, in verse number one, chapter twelve. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're only going to do this last little bit. Let us lay aside every weight, comma, and sin. So this is really important we understand this because if there was one mistake I made that I want to encourage all of you not to make who are still in school is I wish I would have thrown myself more into English. I got an amen from the people in the room? Because I kid you not, I was the person who I was terrible at English. You can tell when I talk, amen, you took in something, amen. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you can tell some things that I say are not right in the English language. And I wish I would have studied English more because it helps you in every area of your studies in all reality. Because language matters. Because words matter. Tone matters. Verbs matter. Past tense, past tense and all that stuff. Adjectives. They matter and they have huge implications to the text. Because look what it says there. He says, let us lay aside every weight. And then he has a comma and then and sin. So that tells us very plainly there is a big difference between a sin and the weight. I want us to see that there. I want us to see just by looking at the Word of God, just by taking the time to read slowly and to read carefully, you can pick up on these huge, big implications by reading the text slowly and articulately, looking at what the author means. Look at what he means. I'll give you an expression. If Emily texts me, K, it's not good. <laughs> if I get a K, that is way different, brothers and sisters, than an okay. Amen? Just by her stripping the O away, K. And usually it's followed by a period, amen. And I know, I, it's not going to be good. Because I know that that changes the whole entire situation. And I'll tell you how much we've learned from this in our culture. If we have a serious conversation, all of us in this room, we attach LOL. <laughs> like we say something a lot because we don't, want to be, we don't want to be too serious, but we don't want to be too joking. So, are you coming? <laughs> LOL. Uh, because we want to know, and we're going to get a feeling, sir, but also like, it's okay. Uh, you know, you don't. Because language matters. So he says here, let us lay aside every weight. Every weight and sin. We're going to talk about sin next week. Y'all, y'all love to preach, preach about sin, amen. Let me tell you something. The only times I've ever offended somebody in church is not when I preach about everybody else's sin, but when I preach about your sin. Hey. That's when we really get in trouble. And so let's see what happens here. Let's look what happens. He says, every weight. Let's look at some things we can learn from the other texts in the Word of God to talk about these weights. So the weights here in this passage, this is probably, without a shadow of a doubt, talking about legalism. Legalism, of course, is when you have to earn God's favor by doing things God wants you to do. And I want you to know, guys, our earning of God's favor was settled on the cross of Calvary. Now, what I mean by that is is you don't earn more of God's favor when you obey Him. You don't earn less of it when you disobey Him. Why? Because God loves you not based on your work, but based on the finished work of Christ. I want us to get that, okay? So, your worth is not up for discussion. But here's the thing I want you to get. But there is, is up for discussion, whether obedience, you get blessed when you obey, or you get cursed when you don't obey. And this is a biblical concept. There's blessings and curses. And curses, see what I mean? Uh, curses, amen. Uh, there's life and there's death. Because let me tell you something. God ultimately protects you from eternal punishment in Christ, but he does not 
protect you from the circumstances of consequences in the world. Because you have to reap what you sow. I want you to get this. If I was to steal something, God's grace is sufficient to forgive me of that sin, but I also have to suffer the consequences of that sin. You have to understand that. Because I'm saying, there is a hyper-grace movement, or cheap grace, I would call it, even that, that people say God didn't care how you live. That's not the God of the New Testament. That's, right. that's not the God of the Bible. That's right. So I want us to get that. So here he says, let us lay aside every weight. There was Judaizers who were Christian Jews, or Jewish Christians, who came in to these churches, who came in these communities. And you know what they said? You've got to be a Jew before you can be a Christian. So they started talking about it. They said, you have to be circumcised. I don't know about you, but if we had circumcision as a prerequisite to baptism, our numbers would be dwindling, amen? <laughs> as in, if we weren't, amen, they'd be like, you know, we're going to have circumcision out there. And that's the way they were doing back in the New Testament. You know what they said? They said back in the New Testament, they said, you must be circumcised before you can be part of the kingdom of God. You must be circumcised before you can be part of the Christian community. And that's not what the Bible teaches. So they were adding things to the gospel. They were saying the gospel's grace plus works. And that's all the gospel is. So they were adding things to it, right? So they were building and putting on more traditions than man could handle themselves. And they were saying, you've got to go to synagogue. You've got to do this. You've got to obey the Old Testament. They were laying all these heavy loads on the Israelite community, which is the Hebrews. And guess what? They were muddling, they were muddying the gospel. And this is a problem you see in almost every letter Paul writes. Now, here's the thing. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. There's not significant proof that we can say without a shadow of a doubt it was Paul or it was Apollos. There's a lot of arguments it was Apollos. There's a lot of arguments it was Paul. There's some that say it was Barnabas. We don't know, but I do know who did write it, Jesus, amen, uh, through the power of his spirit. But there was these problems all the time in the New Testament of the Jewish people trying, who were saved and born again trying to go back to the Old Testament ways of Judaism. And there was a problem of the Christian community trying to go and learn the ways of Judaism because they thought that's what God wanted them to do. So you have this battle back and forth between the old and the new. The old and the new. And we still have this in our church today. Now, it doesn't look like Judaism. It doesn't look like, um, you know, we have to learn Judaism. But it does look like, guess what, if you weren't baptized in a white robe, that wasn't a proper baptism. Which is not true. We have this nowadays where it says, guess what? If you don't sing hymns in your church, then you're not a true believing New Testament church. Once again, those are cultural battles. Cultural battles. Cultural preferences. Anything we attach to the gospel is borderline heresy. Because it's, 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 it has to be all grace. Because let me tell you something. It's not you have to earn God's favor because you can't. That's the whole of it. You can't earn God's favor. So look what it says here in 1 Corinthians. I want to read this text to you. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 through 27. I want to show this here. Do you not know that in the race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Look what it says. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. Look at there. This is Paul talking about it. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself, I myself should be disqualified. 
Look what he says. I love that, that, that language he uses. He says, I do not run aimlessly. You know what running aimlessly is? Running aimlessly is when you just run on a treadmill when it's 70 degrees outside, amen? You're not going anywhere. You're running perfectly inside in a 70-degree building when outside it's 70 degrees, but you're running aimlessly. You have nowhere you're really going. And so for the most part, doing us to understand this, church, is we cannot be people who run aimlessly. Now, what do I mean by people who run aimlessly? People that run aimlessly are the ones who come to church for 30, 40, maybe even 20, maybe even 10 years, and they never grow in their faith. They come aimlessly. They don't have a goal. They just say, well, I just show up, and I listen to the preacher, and I'm putting into practice what he says. I don't listen to the Word of God. I don't worship. You know, I just want to be amongst God's people. Let me tell you something. The main reason we come under the authority of Scripture is so that God changes us to become more like His Son. That's what we do. So to show up aimlessly, to be somebody who runs aimlessly, is somebody who doesn't know where they're going. You know what frustrates me beyond a shadow of a doubt is when I see unorganized people try to be unorganized in my life. Now what do I mean by unorganized people try to be unorganized in my life? Let me tell you something. Hardly ever, hardly ever, I do want to mean this, do you understand that in our home there is a massive month calendar? And on that, it's a dry erase counter. Emily does it every month. We put all of our work appointments. We put all of our doctor's appointments. We put everything on that calendar. If it's not on that calendar, it doesn't exist. Because guess what? We're not trying to aim. We're not trying to run aimlessly. And once you get this, church, if you don't govern your schedule, somebody else will. I want you to get this to me. Some people say, well, if I just wish I had time, you have time. Yeah. We all have time. It is a matter of spiritual discipline. And that is a word that we hate. Notice my language there. We hate discipline. Because we do not like it. The older you get, the more you start to push back and say, I'm not going to be disciplined. But let me tell you something. There are, you have one option in life. One big option. Of course, I stole this from someone else, but it's so true. You either have a life full of discipline or a life full of regret. You either have a life full of discipline or you have a life full of regret. Because you have to discipline yourself. You have to discipline yourself. Let me tell you something. If somebody out there, you might think, well, you know, well, you, you don't understand, like, you know, adultery kind of happens. Let me tell you something. Adultery is because, most of the time, because of a lack of discipline. You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? I can prove it to you. Most of the time, adultery happens because we are not disciplined enough to put up barriers. Now, what do I mean by that? Let me tell you something. For me and my spouse, me and my wife, I don't meet with a female one-on-one. You will not happen, unless you're my mama, amen. That's about it. And I'm afraid she's going to whoop me, amen, uh, because I kid you not. Because I want you to understand, I put up a barrier. I've been disciplined enough. Says, I'm not going to meet with a woman one-on-one. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to text a woman privately one-on-one that my wife is not aware of. Because that's a barrier. It's a discipline of me to protect my marriage. I'm being disciplined. If somebody doesn't like my spouse, if somebody doesn't like us as people, they're not in my life. There's a discipline because nobody, no friendship on the planet is worth the most important person in my life outside of Christ, which is Emily. It's a discipline. Guess what? If I want to live a long time and I want to enjoy my family, if I want to enjoy our kids, if I want to enjoy our grandkids, I have to be disciplined with what I eat and what I do because it has gained. Paul would say it like this. He says, you know, uh, physical discipline has worldly gain, but spiritual discipline has, outside of that, has extraordinary gain. 
Guys, let me tell you something. Reading the Word of God. If I only read the Word of God when I felt like reading the Word of God, I would never read the Bible. I would get up every morning, man, I'm tired today. I don't feel like reading God's Word today, but I'm disciplined to do it. Yeah. I'm disciplined. I guess what? Every time church comes around and it's time to gather in the Lord's house, I'm going to go because I'm disciplined. But let me tell you something. Something I'm not disciplined in is fasting. I'm not disciplined in fasting. That's something I've got to work on as Baptists. Amen. We like potlucks, amen. But we don't like fasting. We don't like prayer. But those are areas of my life I've got to be disciplined in. I've got to be disciplined. Why? Because they have so much gain. Let me tell you something. Here's what's mind-blowing. This is what's mind-blowing. If you continue to let other people's schedules determine what your schedule is, you will be miserable and unorganized your entire life. Let me tell you something. I've told you this before, church. I mean it. Saturday mornings before 11 o'clock, I'm not coming to wherever you need me to be. I'm just telling you, straight up, I've said this over and over again. Saturday mornings before 11 o'clock, you must say, well, I pay you. Let me tell you something. I don't care. Because Saturday mornings at 11 o'clock, that's when me and my wife sleep in. That's when we eat pancakes together. That's when we have community and have connection. Why? Because that's going to last more than this will. I need you to get this. I need you to get it, church. Because you've got to be disciplined. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Guess what? Sunday's at 10 a.m. Family reunion. We only have family reunion once every two. I'm sorry, I'll come after church. Amen. Well, I'm so, you know, I don't want to offend them. Disciplined. You have to be disciplined. Because you have to. If, somebody, if you're not disciplined, guess what? The world's going to have its way with you. That's right. It's going to have its way with you. It's going to have its way with you. If you're recovering from alcoholism, guess what? You've got to be disciplined. Yeah. You can't go to the bar. Hang out with people to drink, guess what? Because you're trying to be disciplined enough, I'm not going to do those things. If you're tempted by pornography, some of you males in there, some of you females, let me tell you something. You need to be disciplined enough to delete the apps and get somebody to check your phone, or even better yet, take the door off your hinges if you have a little if you have your son who's struggling with it. Take the door off his hinges. Make it as hard as you possibly can for him to be lured away by the demons of hell into that filth. Yeah. You have to be disciplined. Pastor Nick, you're acting like this is a big deal. Do you not understand this is a big deal? People get taken out all the time because they're not disciplined. You have to be disciplined to put off the weight. Put off the weight that holds you back. Put off the weight. Let me tell you something. If you've got friends of yours who they constantly are dragging you away from the things of God, cut them out. Hmm. Cut them out. I'm trying to witness them being lost. Let me tell you something. You cannot win somebody to Christ when you're walking with them with the devil. Yeah. You can't do it. I love you enough, but you can't do it. You might think, well, I can change them. Are you Jesus? Because <laughs> you can't change them. They have to see the change in you, and the Holy Spirit will beckon them to ask you, what's different about your life? That's what happened. That's what happened. That's just point number one, Amen. Cha-ching, cha-ching, buckle up, sister. <laughs> buckle up, brother. What's the weight, Pastor Nick? Weights, let me tell you something about the difference in weights and sin. Weights, point number two, weights can be a good thing, but when they become a God thing, they are a bad thing. Hmm. Write that down in your handy dandy notebook, amen? A weight is a good thing, but when it becomes a God thing, it becomes a bad thing. Weight can be a good thing. Weight can be almost anything. Let me tell you something. Your spouse can become a weight. 
What do you mean, Pastor? When you begin to worship them and their worth is determined by what you do, let me tell you something. Money makes a poor God. Your spouse makes a poor God. Your kids, let me tell you something, they make a poor God. So if you think we build our lives around the kids' schedule, let me tell you something, you will be dissatisfied in a number of years. Your kids will be burn out on the sports that you love, and they will none none do with you. Why? Because you force them to do things they did not want to do. Because all the while you're making a good thing into a God thing, and it becomes a bad thing. It becomes a bad thing. I've talked about this over and over again, and I'm going to change my beat on Let me tell you something. Sports are a great thing. They're a good thing. But when they become a God thing, they're a bad thing. Yeah. They're a bad thing. Hanging out with your buddies, let me tell you something. Hanging out with your friends. When they become a God thing to you and they become more important than your marriage, let me tell you something, that's a bad thing. Yeah. That's a bad thing. You need to remove it. It's a bad thing. They've been with me long before her, but let me tell you something, you're, you're laying down with them every night. Let me tell you something, some of you, let me, alcohol in your home. And you've heard me talk about this over and over again. Alcohol, it's not an evil thing. It's not an evil thing. It's a, it's a neutral object. But when you take alcohol and you have to get drunk to get over your problems, that's a bad thing. That's an idol. That's false worship. That, that literally is a bad thing. And it can wreck your marriage and wreck your kids. Why? Because your kids learn, I don't run to Jesus with my problems. I run to Budweiser with my problems. When daddy's had a hard day, he gets drunk and he feels better. When mama gets hard, she pours a little bit more wine. She feels better about herself because you're, you're running to the wrong God, ladies and gentlemen. And it can become a bad thing. You know what I know about them little kids? They're always watching. You can be in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of Antarctica, on a snow sled, and out there with your dogs, nobody else around you, stump your toes, say a cuss word, your kid like, what'd you say? Because they're always watching you. That's the scary thing about being a parent is they always look at you beady-eyed. Amen? So you're teaching them how to follow Jesus. You're teaching them how to run the race. So we cannot afford to say, well, just, you know, it'll happen. It'll be all right. You've got to be disciplined. You have to be disciplined. Well, all the other kids are doing it. I'll tell you what my mom used to tell me when I was a kid. If they all jumped off bridge, would you do it? <laughs> that time I told them, yeah. But guys, you have, this stuff is coming for your family. Mm. And you don't even know, it's got you around the neck. And you don't even know, you're thinking, oh, it's all fine, it's all good in my house. Pastor Nick, I'm here, let me tell you something. I love you, brothers, let's tell you, you're not going to make it. Unless you put off the weight. Mm. you got to put it off. Because we cannot allow good things to become God things because those become bad things. I'll prove it to you. Uh, the Israelites back in the day, they had gold earrings given to them from the Egyptians when they left Egypt. They had gold earrings, gold trinkets. They were walking out there looking like they were 50 cent, amen? Uh, you know what I mean? They walked out of there, they had all kinds of stuff on, bling, bling, bling. I mean, they were, you know, turned up, looking good. They walk out in the desert, they got all this gold hanging off of them, got all these things. Moses is up on Mount Sinai, y'all know what happened. Moses is up on Mount Sinai talking to the Lord face to face, getting the Ten Commandments. All the Israelites look at Aaron and says, we want to worship a God we can see. We want our own God. We want, to, we want to worship a God who brought us out of Egypt. Do you know what they did? They took a good thing. Listen to me carefully here. Gold earrings. And they made it into a golden calf, which became a bad thing. And they started bowing down, worshiping the very thing that God blessed them with. Yeah. 
It can happen to any of us. Church can become a God thing. Me and my family, we built this church. Excuse me? You didn't build this church. Christ built this church. We have to be careful, guys, that good things don't become God things that don't lead us to do bad things. And I'm going to say this. There's two, there's, two, there's two feelings you'll get right now. You'll either get mad at me or you'll, get, you'll feel conviction from the Spirit of God. There's two, there's two responses to sin. You can run to the Lord or you can run away from the Lord. He's talking to somebody else. Everybody here's got weights. My hand is raised. I've got weights I can put off. This past year I've been learning how to delegate. Why? Because I've got weights I'm putting off. Amen. Because I've learned I don't have to have my hands in it. We've all got things we're struggling with. All have problems we're having to get over. Let me ask you this. What Paul asked the church in Galatia. Galatia chapter 5 verses 7 through 10. You were running well. Who hindered you in obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you take on no other view. That the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is. You were running well, but who hindered you? If we all were to pass around a sheet of five people who used to walk with the Lord, we would fill up that sheet quickly as ever. Each individual one of us has wrote down five names of people who used to walk with the Lord who are no longer walking with the Lord. You know what they did? I'll tell you what mostly happens to all of them. They all had weights. They all had sins. And they easily beset them. And after year after year after year of erosion, guess what? It took them out. That's right. Took them out. Because I want to tell you this over and over again, guys. Our goal is not to make our children happy. Our goal is to make our kids godly. I don't know where we got I don't know where we got crisscrossed in that. Because it's not our goal. Our goal is to make them more like Christ. Our goal is to raise them to be Christians. And that don't set that don't set well. Some of you need to sit somewhere else, amen. Because yeah. I'm telling you, this is just the truth of Scripture. And I've heard it time and time again. You wait till you have kids. You wait till I have kids. You're gonna see it. You're gonna see it if you stay here long enough. You'll see it, or if you don't see it, you'll see it somewhere else. Because it's easy to be taken out. It can happen so quickly. So you were running well. You know what's crazy to me? Look back on the time of your life and think, man, I used to walk with the Lord crazy good. What hindered you? What took you out? What Really, do some soul searching. What took you out? What took out your marriage? What took out your friendship? What took it out? And are those same characteristics, those same good things still in your life? I cut them out. It ain't worth it. You know, you know what's amazing? If you've had four broken relationships, I can tell you the four common denominators, amen? <laughs> it's a person you see in the mirror. you got to fix that guy. Fix that girl. Bring take some problems in somewhere else. Why? Because you got to do the hard work, the soul-searching work. I would encourage all of you, how do you know if someone's awake? You test it. You test your motives. You ask the Lord, Lord, is this a good thing or a bad thing or a God thing? God, what is this? Because point number three, I just wanted to share this with you. Some curses start off looking like blessings. Hmm. They do. Some things that are, that are 
Curses, guess what? They, they start off looking good. They start off looking real good, but guess what? It turns out they were a curse. But you know, I know, let me tell you this, church. This is going to be revolutionary in 2021. Your feelings lie to you. Right. Your feelings change like you change underwear. You know how I know? Mine do too. Thursday night, I went to bed in a bad mood. My wife could testify. I mean, I was in a bad mood. I was tired. I was grouchy. I don't want to be around anybody. Friday morning, I woke up. I'm blessed and highly favored. <laughs> Got my coffee at me in, doing good. My wife probably thinking, who is he? Because guess what? My mood changes. Because I'm human. But a discipline is the same whether my feelings change or not. That's right. Because it's a decision. It's a discipline. You know, when you get, when you get married, you think you put the ring of power on and lust goes away. It don't. Because you've got to be disciplined to make the right decisions. You've got to be disciplined not to form an emotional attachment to somebody who's not your spouse. So you've got to communicate. It's why the number one marriage counsel I give people, you've got to consolidate everything to get married. Finances, everything. Why? Because you've got to become one. Right. You know what happens? You've got two accounts, you've got two motives, you've got two people running two different directions. Some of you are like, I don't agree with that. Read the book. Read the book. Well, my best friend told me to tell you, read the book. <laughs> read the book. So you've got to be one. Same drive, same motives. Let me tell you something. If you've been married long enough, you know what I mean. When you're in sync, ain't nothing you can't do. If me and Emily are in sync, she charge hell with me with a water pistol. And if we're not in sync, she'd shoot me in the leg, amen? <laughs> Just kidding. I'll not. Why'd you laugh at <laughs> Because once you get some curses, start off looking like blessings. I'll prove it to you. You pull in McDonald's, baby. You feel real hungry. I'm gonna get that Big Mac. Super size, always 75 cents. Super size! <laughs> Guess what? You pull up there, take the money. Take it. You get that big old greasy hamburger, you start digging into it, eating it, you shoveling the fries in, you putting the ketchup in, you get that large Coke, you feel it really great. 20 minutes later. Oh! Oh, why'd you let me eat that food? Why'd you let me do that? Oh! You walk around a food cup, a food baby gave me a thing. What in the world? Isn't that the truth of sin? Feels really good in the moment, then afterwards it's a curse, and the bite's always worse. Like, you know what the devil whispers in here? Let them have it. Let them have it. So you double barrel. Let me tell you! Boom, 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 boom. 30 minutes later, man, I'm a terrible person. Why'd I do that? Because sin always covers the price tag. The weight always covers the price tag. You know what I know about going to the gym? Some of you are like, I, I wish you'd shut up and my gym. I want you to live long and prosper, amen? Why don't you do it? I know the times where I didn't want to go exercise, but it was a discipline of mine, and I went and did it, I felt way better. Yeah. When I made a healthy choice for my family, guess what? In the moment, it was sick, but afterwards, it felt better. Mm. You've got to be disciplined. Because you'll get taken out. You might think, oh, no, it won't happen to me. You'll get taken out. I'll tell you a story of two brothers. I'm going to be done with you, amen. John Mark. You don't know John Mark. You've probably never heard his name before, but I guarantee you, you've read his stuff. John Mark. John Mark is the 
disciple, he's not a disciple, he's a disciple of Christ. He's not an apostle. Do you understand the difference there? He went on to write the Gospel of Mark. If you were to flip right now to Matthew, Mark, if you were to look at Mark, it would say the Gospel according to John Mark. He was the guy who went on to interview Peter. That's why Mark's Gospel has so many little details other Gospels don't, and especially focuses on Peter, because he interviewed Peter and wrote his Gospel based on the accounts of Peter, which is how journalism works. But that's not how he got started. Let's see what happens here in Acts chapter 13, verse 5. Look what it says here. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. It's Acts chapter 13, verse 5. John is with them. John is with Paul. He's with Barnabas. They are a team. They're the best friends that anyone could have. I mean, you know what I mean? They go everywhere together. They are awesome. They're always in a good mood. They are working together. This is Acts 13, verse 5. They're in a synagogue, so they're preaching in verse 5. Let's continue the story. Look what it says here. When they arrived at, or, now Paul and his companions set sail from there, went to Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So he left them. John was with them, and then he left them. He went back to Jerusalem. Maybe he got homesick. Maybe he had a, a girl back home and says, If you love me, you come home. Maybe he had a job, maybe. You've, been, you've got too many vacation days. I don't know what it was, but for some reason he left. We're not really sure why he left them, but he left them. So fast forward. Let's fast forward again. Let's look at our next piece of scripture. Verse chapter 15, verse 37 of Acts. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take them with him. One who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone yeah. with them to the work. Mm -hmm. So guess what happens? John leaves, John comes back, and Paul's not having it. Paul says, I don't like this guy. He's a quitter, and I know a quitter when I see a quitter. He ain't come with us no more. So you see this tale in Scripture of a man who... It starts off running with the Lord. You see a man who doesn't run well with the Lord. You see a man who comes back and starts running well. And then to reach the conclusion of it, let's see what happens in another one of Paul's letters. Let's jump down to the next little text. Hopefully we will. Maybe I'll read it to you. There it is. I pray as my fellow prisoners in Christ Jesus send greetings to you. Let's go to the next one, hopefully. Maybe not. Uh, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. No, no, we'll go back. We'll go back and read it. It's okay. We'll fix it. Uh, so let's see what happens here. Um, in Acts 15, verse 37 through 40. Now Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them with him. He withdrew from them. That's what happened. Now you're, no, you guys are right. I'm wrong. Uh, then Demas, let's talk about him. So Demas was a guy who went with Paul multiple places. He did a lot of ministry with him. Let's pick up what, who Demas is in Philemon chapter 1, verse 23. My fellow prisoners in Christ Jesus send greetings to you, and so does Mark, uh, Articus, and Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker. So Demas is a worker. Look what happens in verse uh, 14 in Colossians. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as well as Demas. Demas is with Paul. He's traveling with him. But let's see what happens here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. Verse 10. I want you to look out. Look at this. 
For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Hmm. Demas left him. And as far as we can tell from history, as far as we can tell from biblical studies, as far as we can tell from other manuscripts, guess what? Demas never comes back to the faith. He left. He fell in love with his present world and he never came back. What about our boy John Mark? I'm glad you asked. He has gone to Galatia, Titus to Valencia. Let's see what happens here in verse number 11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in ministry. Both of them start off running with the Lord. Both of them start off being trained by the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine an apprentice program like that? And both of them have struggles. But guess what? One of them gets taken out. And the other one keeps running. Demas gets taken out. And all we know from what Paul tells us is he's fell in love with this present world. This present world. Is there anybody here, I wonder, who you fell in love with this present world more than the God of the universe? Mm. You've tried to make your spouse and your children happy when your goal is never to make them happy. Your goal is to try to make them holy. Right. Your goal is to try your best to lead them to godliness. That's your goal, guys, to godliness. And that big takeaway, I'll leave you with this as I begin to wrap up. Is there a progressive growth toward godliness in your life? More like Christ every day. You know what's amazing to me? The more me and Emily, I've talked a lot about our day uh, just because it's just, it's, just, it's just so true. The more we're around each other, the more we become like each other. You ever say a phrase and you know before you got married that phrase was not a part of your vocabulary? And then you say the phrase and they're like, that's my word. Because you pick up on mannerisms. You pick up on the way you say things. You'll start finishing each other's sandwiches, amen? <laughs> you start finishing different things. Why? Because you're becoming one. Shouldn't we become more like Christ every year of our walk with Him? Shouldn't it be a progression of Christ-likeness? Where you're gradually becoming less like yourself and more like Christ? Because let me tell you this, and I really want to mean this. You are the most and the best version of yourself when you are closest to Christ. You're who you're designed to be when you're closest to Christ. Because that's who you're going to be. That's who you're going to be. You're going to be turned into a version. You're going to be turned, not a version, I'm sorry about that. You're going to be turned into a perfected worshiper of the Lord. When you reach eternity, you're not going to become a little Christ, amen, don't you confuse there, but you will be perfect like Christ. You'll be just as much like Christ as He wants you to be. You'll have no sin, you'll have no problems, you'll have nothing wrong because you'll be transformed to the image of His Son. That's what the Bible says. Because here's the thing, guys, getting from, from there to where we're at now, to there, there should be a gradual progression. There's going to be some setbacks. There's going to be some struggles. There's going to be some dark months and dark years. But overall, let me tell you something. I'll remind you of what 1 John tells us. 
They departed from among us because they were never part of us. Because you can't leave this stuff. If, if somebody was to walk out of Christianity, what they're saying is what they're saying that they don't mean to say is the same spirit that saved them was not capable of keeping them. And that's not true. If God saved you, God will keep you. So I want to challenge you to remember that. Are you seeing a progressive growth in godliness? And if I did the same thing every day and there was nothing happening after a couple months, I'd quit doing it. Right. I would. I'd quit doing it in a couple months. I mean, about three months at least. 90 days, you ought to be able to see something. But it's amazing to me how many times we do things and we draw from empty wells they got nothing out. So you've seen a progression. It's not perfect. It's a progression. Are you seeing that? Because you're not seeing it, I will challenge you. You're not walking with the Lord. Those who He saved, He also sanctifies. Yeah. Faints a way of saying He also changes. Because Jesus never met anybody He did not change. And you might think, I'm the exception. You're not. Hmm. You're not. Because I'm telling you, there's godly ways of learning these things we're going to the world with. There's godlier ways to do it. There's a right way to do it. And you might be like, I don't want to do things God's way. Now why? What are you doing here? I really mean that. What are you doing here? Because we're a community of faith trying to do things God's way. So do you see a progression? Are you running the race? And if you're not running the race, get beside brothers and sisters who are running better. Stronger races than you. And link arms with them. So can you help me run? I love what John Piper said. He said, how you weigh things, how you weigh things when it comes to godliness, when it comes to, you know, is this a good thing or, or a bad thing? Does it help you run? Does it help you run with Christ? Does it help you become more loving, more kind, more patient, more like Jesus? Does it help you become more like that? If it helps you become more like that and it's not sin, then by all means do it. But if it distracts you from those things that are causing you to become more like Christ, then it's from the pits of hell itself. If Fox News is causing you to have conflict with your brothers and sisters, turn it off. If you care more about the American flag, listen to me carefully here. If you care about the kingdom of God, which stands forever, you've got a problem. Because this world's not our home. I'm a patriot through and through. I love this country. I stand for the national anthem in my living room. Amen. Anybody tell you? Because I love this country. But this country is not my home. We're passing through. It would be a shame for you to stand before the King of Kings and say, I was a devout American. He says, I'm sorry. <laughs> that won't get you here. It would be a shame. Because you've got to let go of these weights. They're dragging you down, brother. Sister, you've got that friend of yours who's running your husband into the ground every time you talk to him? Cut him off. You get these weights. You get these weights. And the worst thing you could possibly do, let me encourage you this. Mom and dad, I'm going to say that this is free. This is all for free, man. <clears throat> You're giving your child a supercomputer and letting them have privacy with it. 
Let that sit in your gut. If it's your phone, you pay for that phone, you have complete authority to check that phone. And I would say it's madness not to. Yeah. You're putting a weight around your child's neck, and it'll drag them down. Think about it. Be smart. If you're going to give it to them, be responsible enough to check it. If you don't know how to check it, don't give it to them. Because it can wreck their life. We've got to be smart, church. The enemy out there, you know what the Bible says about him? He's a roaring lion seeking him to make devour. Yep. We've got to be smart. We've got to be smart. Let's run the race. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not looking around. Every head